Hey, you know what? It's really fun to be here. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? How are we doing? How are we doing? And welcome to episode number 24 of the Banner Banter Podcast. How's everyone doing? I am your host and favorite Boston Celtics season ticket holder, Timmy G. You can follow me on the Twitter machine at Banner Banter 18 or also follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Banner Banter Podcast. A very interesting week for the Boston Celtics this week, and we're going to dive right into it. So currently the Celtics are 25 and 17. They're two games out of the four seed behind the 76ers, who recently just lost to the Atlanta Hawks. I know Joel Embiid wasn't playing for them, but to lose to the Hawks, that's uh, that's pretty gross. They're three games behind the third seed, which is held by the Indiana Pacers, and they're six and a half games back of the Raptors. Gross, gross, gross. Now, don't look now. But I do want to remind you that, thankfully, because the Grizzlies are 19-23 and 23 and they've lost three out of their last seven games, I'm sorry, seven out of the last ten games, they've only won three out of their last ten games, they are currently the ninth pick in the NBA draft. The Kings are slowly starting to fade as well. They're 13th, and then right now the Clippers and the Celtics have the 20 and 25th picks. So two lottery picks, two late-round picks, you know, if Danny wants to do some trades because a lot of guys are arguing with with each other on the court a lot of the guys don't seem happy with their roles could be intra it could be a very interesting three to four weeks for this boston celtics team especially with the trade that trade deadline coming up wow i can't talk all right uh let's just get right into it the celtics had some great games last week they beat the nets they beat the pacers we'll start off with the nets game they beat the nets 116 and 95 at the garden this is one of those games where you really couldn't complain about because the Celtics were doing everything right. Sure, they lost the rebound, battle by four, not that big of a deal. But overall, it was a great game by everyone. Consistent scoring throughout all f- four quarters, 34, 22, 30, and 30. So it, basically everything kind of averaged themselves out, which is perfectly fine by me. The Celtics had 79% on all of their field goals were assists. 79% of their field goals were all by assists. Third straight game with 30-plus assists, and four players scored 12 points, and then you had another eight players score double figures. That's great. That's consistent scoring. That's exactly what we wanted from this team, and defensively, the team was great as well. 22, 23, 29, and 21, I believe, which is great stuff to not allow a team to score more than 30 points with the way they've been playing defense lately, like the Spurs and the Timberwolves game. That's great to see. With that being said, the Nets were shorthanded. They were missing five players where they will be playing tonight, most likely in Brooklyn against the Nets. All all those guys will be back, like Joe Harris and DeMar Carroll, and I'm having a brain fart on who else is coming? Oh, Ron Hollis, Jefferson. Those type of guys will be back for the Nets tonight when the Celtics play them at 7.30 in Brooklyn. But what the Celtics are finally getting back into is they're getting back into what Brad Stevens called half Celtics or half second basketball, where literally you get the ball, you have a half second to make it make a decision. You shoot it, you pass it, you attack the basket. And because of that, the ball moves around quicker, it spreads the offense out better, and a lot of good things are happening. Now, I believe one of the reasons why 
the Celtics will beat the Pacers. I'm just jumping right into the Pacers game is because of Marcus Morris and Al Horford. Those are the reason why those guys won that game. And those those guys played great against the Nets. And it was great to see because Al Horford's knee is still bothering him. You can see that throughout. And it's probably one of the reasons why the Celtics lost the rebound battle against the Nets because they do have some athletic bigs. And it's one of the reasons why they've probably lost their last two games against the Heat and the Magic. But the Pacers game, the Celtics, it was a big game for them. It really was. Yes, I understand the Celtics. uh, I mean, the Pacers were playing the night before. They played the Cleveland Cavaliers, a lot of their starters rested, which, you know, you think is a good thing, which is what the Celtics did with their starters after they were, the lead was so big with, against the Pacers, but it didn't work out with the way that they played against the Heat. But the Celtics blew them out of the water, 135 to 108. Marcus Morris had 22 points on eight shots, 22 points on eight shots. That's incredible. And he went to the free throw line seven times. He also led the team with eight rebounds. That's super duper. And then we got to see Point Horford. Point Horford finally made a return. He was a plus 19. He had eight assists. Eight assists and only six points. But a team high, plus 19. That's why you get a Hal Horford. That's the Al Horford we want to see. But it's not the Al Horford that we got in Orlando and in Miami, which we'll get to in a little bit. But Point Horford, like I've always said, is very important to this team. If Kyrie can come off screens, good luck catching him. Like, the dribble handoff between Kyrie and Al Horford is pretty much unstoppable unless you have a couple really good defenders, not only the center, but also the point guard that's guarding Kyrie. But mm, sometimes it happens, but when it doesn't happen, you know, with that being said, like a good defender, the Celtics are hard to beat, especially when Al Horford can get eight assists and Marcus Morris only needs eight shots to score 22 points. Marcus Morris is slowly getting to is currently in an elite club, and hopefully that can stay like that all all season. He's in the 40-50-90 club, which means you shoot 40% from the field, 50% from three, and 90% from three-point line. I think only like six guys have ever done it, like Kevin Durant, Larry Bird, Steph Curry, I believe, did it, and some guys way back in the day that I'm having a brain fart on. But to be in that class and your name is Marcus Morris, that's pretty elite. That's pretty elite stuff. Some of the other things that I noticed from the Pacers game, Jason Tatum, he was super duper in the first half. He scored a majority of his points in the first half. He actually had this one great spin move where Oladipo fell on the floor. I think Oladipo, you know, stepped on Tatum's sneaker, which is fine. But when it happened, you're like, oh, he broke his ankles. That's so sick. But Jason Tatum, once again, had one of those great games where he was making great decisions. And when Jason Tatum makes good decisions, I am happy. And then when Jason Tatum makes those good decisions, this Boston Celtics basketball team looks great. They really do. Now, 32 assists. Fourth time that this team has had 32 assists. Four straight games. 30 assists or more. That's incredible. The ball's moving like no other. And guess what? They won the rebound battle by nine against a team that can rebound the ball very well. I also understand that Miles Turner wasn't playing for the Pacers, and he's their most important big man, but that's fine. But that's fine. So, what else could we talk about about these last two games? The thing that really stuck out to me, minus the assists, were the defensive rotations. The Celtics really defended the ball well, and if guys were switching and the ball was swinging around, guys were ready, guys were fully prepared. And I think the Pacers game was one of their best defensive games of the entire year with the way that they were closing out shooters, forcing Oladipo and Sabonis and Bogdanovich, I think that's how you pronounce his name, tough 
contested jumpers. And if the Celtics can do that, they're a very good team. I, I think last year the Celtics contested the most jump shots in the NBA, which led to a very low field goal percentage for the other team, which is why their defensive rating was so high. And it was great. It was great. And it's crazy to think, you know, at the time, after the game, I was like, I don't care if the Pacers had a back-to-back. You know, the Celtics destroyed them. But then, you know, you go and look at the Heat game, which we'll talk about in a couple minutes. The Celtics also got destroyed. So it is crazy how bad teams are on the second night of back-to-back in the NBA. It's crazy how these guys need rest. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I think Kevin McHale mentioned it on the broadcast on the Heat game on TNT where he was just basically like, I don't get it. You know, we used to have back-to-back all the times. So we would never have any problems. And it's crazy how much the league has changed. You know, we all, the the big debate about, you know, who's the GOAT, who's not the GOAT. You can't co- compare eras and all this stuff. And you can compare how, like, I don't want to call all these guys soft because they're much more athletic. But, like, the amount of, if you think about it, if you think about all the research and all the therapy that Larry Bird could have got now versus when he was in, like, the 80s, Larry Bird would have played forever. He would have never had a terrible back. I mean, I'm sure he still would have, but like Larry Bird's career got cut short a little bit because of his back. Now, I'm not saying he was probably going to be in a superstar elite level when he did retire, but he probably could could survive a little bit. And it's and it's crazy how much these teams suck on the second night of back-to-back. The Celtics were actually really good last year. I think that the Celtics were like 8 and 2 or something like that, and I don't even think they have a winning record right now in back-to-backs, and that's that's not good because they got another one coming up next, not next week, this week. They play the Grizzlies on the 18th, and then the next night they have to fly down to Atlanta to play the Hawks, and the Hawks just beat the 76ers. So that's crazy to talk about. Now, one, just a couple of little quick notes before we get into the terrible losses against the Magic and the Heat. R.J. Hunter, former Boston Celtics draft pick. Second round, uh, I'm sorry, not a second round draft back. He was drafted 28th overall in 2015 by the Celtics in the first round. And he re-signed for a two-way contract with the Celtics just the other day. He was waived by the Celtics after the 2015 season. And he went to go play, excuse me, for the Bulls and the Rockets for a little bit. And Brad was very happy. Brad said one of the toughest things he had to do was actually let go of R.J. Hunter. And R.J. Hunter was a great college basketball player. A lot, If a lot of people don't remember R.J. Hunter went to Georgia State. He hit that crazy shot in the NCAA tournament, and his like, dad was on like crutches, or he had like a broken leg, and he was in like a, a foot cast, and he like fell over. And it was actually like one of the coolest NCAA moments like in a long, long time. And it will be really interesting to see how the Celtics treat R.J. Hunter. R.J. Hunter had his moments when he played for the Bulls and the Rockets, and he also was pretty good in the G League as well. So he's obviously going to be playing up with the main red claws with P.J. Dozier and a couple other guys. And it'll be interesting because usually when the Celtics need to call someone down from Maine, it's usually P.J. Dozier. So it'll be interesting to see if R.J. Hunter will be coming down and not P.J. Dozier. So that'll be interesting to see. Now, I know that's not going to change the world in any way, shape, or form when it comes to this Boston Celtics team. But at the end of the day, when you're a diehard like myself, it's fun to see like those little things. And one of the other things that I wanted to get into was the all-star voting. The second batch of all-star votes came out, and Kyrie leads all the guards in the NBA, which is great. But right now, he is still behind Giannis Antetokounmpo for the number one overall vote-getter in the East. And basically what it is, it will be like LeBron, and then Kyrie or Giannis, and those guys can select their teams. And that's what's so cool about the NBA All-Star game now, is the two highest vote-getters get to pick their teams. 
and they're actually going to put it on national TV this year, which I, I think is actually even better because last year they kind of did the draft like behind the scenes because they didn't want anyone's feelings to get hurt on who gets picked last. Like, who cares if you get picked last? You're an all-star. Get, you know, hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on. Get paid. I'm really sorry that I did that. Okay. Anyways, one thing that I am disappointed about the all-star voting, minus the fact that Derek Rose and Dwayne Wade are still up there, but Dwayne Wade played like an all-star the other night against the Celtics. And like I said, we'll get into that in, in a second. But I don't understand how Marcus Morris is still not in the top 10 in votes. Like Gordon Hayward and Al Horford guys are not all-stars. They're not. I don't understand why Celtics fans are voting for them or if there are Celtics fans out there that don't like the way Marcus Morris is playing and are like giving kind votes to Al Horford and Gordon Hayward because maybe Marcus Morris is taking away their shine. And and it's a damn shame. It's a damn shame that Marcus Morris is not in the top 10. It was nice to see Jason Tatum make a little bit of a jump. He's probably not going to get voted in. Ben Simmons is in front of him and B, Giannis Antetokounmpo. It's just, it's just not going to happen, which is fine. Which is fine, but Jason Tatum hopefully will be selected to the All-Star team this year for the East. But it will be tough, but Marcus Morris better be on that All-Star team as well. And speaking about Marcus Morris, let's do this. And now, it is time for the Celtics stud and the Celtics dud of the week. Okay, this week's Celtic Stud and Dud of the Week. Love this segment. A lot of people like this segment. I hope you're one of those people that like it. And if you don't like it, then, well, I don't care. Anyways, Marcus Morris, he's your stud this week by like a million quadrillion points. Yes, Kyrie had a great week, but Marcus Morris, once again, is your most consistent player of the last week during those four games. In those four games last week, 53% from the field, 60% from three, he averaged 14 to 15 points a game and averaged a plus seven, a plus seven every single night. That's huge. And I love it. I'm all for it. Now, the dud this week, get comfy because you guys want to hear a banner banter. Jalen Brown. I can't figure this dude out and I'm kind of sick of it. I really am. I know weird Celtics Twitter is a diehard Jalen Brown fan base and I respect it. I get why people hype up Jalen. He played great in the Eastern Conference Finals. He was very important to this team in the playoffs last year. I get it. I really do. But him and Marcus Morris got in an argument in the second quarter of the Heat game. Everyone saw the video. If you didn't see the video, just you know, go on Twitter or something and look up Marcus Morris, Jalen Brown. The video will pop up. It was in the second quarter. Heat started going on a run. Bench came out on the floor. Heat started going on a run. Brad called a timeout. Jalen missed two layups in a row and just didn't hustle back. And the Heat scored some points. And Marcus Morris said, probably said something to him, as he should. Like, one of the big issues with this team is effort. Effort, effort, effort. And Jalen Brown has to understand that he's coming off the bench. And he needs to put in all the effort that he would put in if he was a starter. He really does. And the two of them kind of got in a little bit of an argument. And Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart was the one that came in and kind of broke it up. And Kyrie even looked at Jalen like, dude, come on. Now, one little, one weird little thing about this video is Gordon Hayward was on the other side of the bench near no one during a timeout. Gordon has looked pretty frustrated as of late. I don't know if Gordon's frustrated with his teammates. I don't know if he likes his teammates. I don't know if he 
doesn't like his role. I don't know what the issue is, but Gordon just doesn't seem very happy. Daddy's always happy. Doesn't seem like that's true. But so keep an eye on that because he looked really frustrated during the Magic game. And we'll get into his terrible pass at the end of the Magic game. And he just didn't look happy in that situation. Maybe he played bad and just needed a second to have a breather. And I'm cool with that. I'm, I really am. But Jalen Brown needs to get his act together. He's either great or he's terrible and he needs to figure it out. Now, I pulled some numbers and this is why I think Jalen Brown needs to nut up and shut up. So the first 20 games, the Celtics went 10 and 10. Jalen started 19 of those games. He averaged 28 minutes a game. He shot 4 of 10 from the field, 25% from three, and 62% from the free throw line. He averaged 11 points, four boards, one assist, and was a average of a minus 1.2. So in the plus minus, he was one one less point worse than the team. Then you, sorry that my mouth is just very dry for some odd reason. So I don't know if I'm still angry from this magic game since I'm recording it after the magic game and I'm just really just fired up about it. So I I apologize for my long pauses, but I'm just trying to calm down because the Celtics should have won that magic game. But anyways, After Jalen hurt his hand and he missed those few games, he came off the bench, and listen to this, 17 games off the bench. He started two of them due to Marcus Morris being injured and all that. 24 minutes a game, so he's playing four less minutes. He's taking one less shot, so he's now, instead of shooting four of 10, he's shooting four of nine. He's shooting 35% from three, which is 10 percentage points better. He's shooting 69% from the free throw line, which is 7% percentage points better he's getting the same amount of rebounds he's getting one more assist per game he's averaging two more points per game and is a plus 3.6 on average he's also scored 20 point over 20 points six times and the celtics are four and two in those six games so guess what jalen you need to come off the bench you play better off the bench you're the number one option off the bench Isn't that good enough for you? Because you are probably the number four option if you were the starter. Like if you were to take Marcus Morris out of the starting lineup, Kyrie's one, Tatum's two, Horford's three, you're four, Marcus Smart's five. But the way that Marcus Smart's been shooting lately, he's probably the number one option. Marcus Smart has been shooting lights out. It's actually been unbelievable. Like I don't even say no anymore when he shoots it. I'm always like, okay. And then he gets it. I'm like, okay, Marcus, I see you. And then when he misses it, I don't even get that angry anymore. Like, I I don't know what's going on with that. I I guess we'll talk about that next week. But Jalen, you're literally playing better off the bench. Accept your role. Take it. Grab it by the balls. And do you, bud. Go. You're better off the bench. You're shooting better off the bench from the free throw line. You're shooting better from the field. You're shooting better from three-point range. You have more assists. You're four points better for the team off the bench than you are a starter. Doesn't that matter? No one cares if you start or not in the NBA. Look at Jamal Crawford. Jamal Crawford is, if you're a diehard basketball fan, Jamal Crawford's one of those guys you will always love. And he was, for the most part, a sixth man for a majority of his career. He was unbelievable off the bench. Now, I may be a little biased towards Jalen wanting to come off the bench and being the sixth man because I did pick Jalen Brown to be our sixth man of the year when I started this podcast, when I started doing my predictions for the season. So maybe I'm being a little biased on that. But Jalen, you, you literally play better when you're off the bench. 
Now, you don't play very consistently off the bench, but you're just better off the bench. For the love of God, do it. And you're also a thousand percent more aggressive because let's be honest, when you were, I, I can we talk about how I'm actually like talking to Jalen Brown like he's actually going to listen to this thing? But anyways, we're going to pretend that he does. Jalen, bud, how are you? Nice to talk to you. You're a thousand percent more aggressive in this role. Just accept it. You were, you were tentative as a starter because you were probably nervous because you didn't want Gordon Hayward to take your shine. You didn't want Marcus Morris to take your shine. Well, guess what? Marcus Morris is taking your shine, bud. Okay, he's playing light years better than you. So attack the hoop better. Make more open shots. Be more confident. Make better cuts to the basket. Even Kyrie said after the game, uh, after the Pacers game, that Jalen was making better cuts. He's being more aggressive. He's making better passes. He's making better decisions. So do it. Do it. That's why you only played 13 minutes in the Heat game. And I think you went like 1 of 5. Like, But the night before, you went 7 of 12. So you play the Pacers, you go 7 of 12. You literally, 22 points, 7 boards. And then the next night, you went 1, one of 5. Why? Why? I don't get it. You're the dud this week, bud. I'm putting a lot of pressure on you. And I, because I, in some weird world, believe that you're actually going to be okay. And you're an important part of this team. But give me some consistency. And the only way that you will give me that consistency is if you nut up and shut up and accept this role off the bench. Okay? <sighs> Anyways, let's get into the Heat game. Second night of a back-to-back for the Celtics. They lose 115-99. to 99. They Everyone just looked exhausted. It, it's literally like they like flew across country like six times. You, they only had to fly three hours down to Miami. It was absolutely unbelievable. Dwayne Wade, per usual, roasted the Celtics. He finished with 19 points off the bench. He played such a great game. And Terry Rozier got his jersey after the game. You know, a lot of the things that professional athletes are doing now is they'll sign the jerseys and exchange them, which I think is cool. It's getting kind of like a lot of players are like overdoing it now, so it kind of loses like how special it is and stuff. You know, like Dwayne Wade and LeBron exchanging jerseys. They were teammates for a long time. They came in the same draft class, like, et cetera, et cetera. That kind of makes sense. And I understand that Terry Rozier sent, like, a tweet out to Dwayne Wade in 2005. It was like, hey, man, check out my my mixtape. Not, like, a hip-hop mixtape, but, like, you know, my basketball highlight mixtape. And it was cool and all. But Scary Terry was one for eight in that game. One for eight. Somehow he led the team in rebounding. <laughs> so the dude goes one for eight. He misses seven shots but leads the team in rebounding. I... Again, I don't understand this team. I really don't. And the Celtics lost the rebounding battle by 14. Again, just keep it within like five. You know, if you lose them, kind of like you did with the Nets, that's fine because you won. Just keep it within five, fellas. Just keep it within five. That team rebounding is so important. But I I honestly feel like Terry Rozier was more focused on getting Dwayne Wade's jersey after the game than he was playing this basketball game. One of eight? That's gross. That's absolutely gross. And speaking of gross, Jason Tatum, his decision-making, you know, you know how I mentioned how great it was in the first half against the Pacers? Well, it was not very good at all in this Heat game. It, it really, there were times where he would take too many dribbles, and he should have passed it. There were times where he should have attacked the basket, and he didn't. There were times where he should have taken the open shot, but then he attacks, and I, and I, and I can't deal with it. It's, it's crazy. Maybe it's because I have no patience. Like, I can't even sit at a red light, and I want him to improve as fast as possible, especially since, you know, he says he wants to be the next Paul Pierce, and I want him to be the next Paul Pierce, like, right now. And I'm trying to be patient with him, but, like, there are times where, like, he has a wide-open lane, 
but then he'll dribble and then step back and shoot a jumper and miss it. And it's just like, no, dude, attack the basket. Go to the free throw line. You're such a good free throw shooter. It's not like you're Jalen Brown at the free throw line. He sucks at free throws. You're good at free throws. Go to the line. Go to the line. And Al Horford. Al Horford. <laughs> oh, boy. He was a minus 26. He had four boards and three assists. A minus 26. That's atrocious. He was a plus 19 against the Pacers and then a minus 26. That is, that's real bad. And I understand that Al Horford's on a minute restriction. So if he's on a minute restriction, maybe don't play him in back-to-backs until he's ready. Maybe, maybe no, don't do that. But I understand we don't have Aaron Baines right now. So if you don't have Aaron Baines, then Robert Williams, your guy. And speaking of Robert Williams, Robert Williams was the guy in this game. Robert Williams was fantastic. The Celtics were down 26 at one point. Hmm. Funny. Minus 26. Down 26. That's crazy. And he came in off the bench. I think it was like maybe with like seven, six minutes to go in the third quarter. And the Celtics went on this run. And it was great. And he didn't fill the stat sheet at all, but he was just a presence. You know, guys would see him. They'd start making decisions because guys really aren't afraid of Al Horford. Al Horford can't even jump over like a Sunday morning Boston Globe anymore. You know, like the old school ones where it was like really thick, not the new ones now where it's like super skinny, but like 1998 Sunday afternoon Boston Globe. That's the type of stuff that Al Horford can't even jump over anymore. And it's real sad. But one block, one steal, four boards, two points, plus 15 for Robert Williams. Just a great little performance, and it's great to see him really improve in on the defensive end. On the offensive side, the kid is clueless. Like There were times where Kyrie was yelling at him to get out of the way. There were times where he was setting the pick on the wrong side of the floor. There were times where he was in the way of certain passes. That kid looks like Ocho Cinco with the Patriots trying to figure out their playbook. He's clueless on offense. He can't figure it out. I'm pretty sure the only thing he knows how to do is he sees the point guard, sets a screen, turns around, rolls to the basket, looks for a lob. If that doesn't happen, he gets the hell out of the way, which is fine. But that kid is clueless when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. It is absolutely crazy. Crazy. So that was a disappointing loss. And I understand. Second night's back-to-back in the NBA. For some odd reason, they're tough. Okay? I get it. Sunday, Saturday night, it just happened. They go in, play the Magic. A winnable game. I understand that they had some issues with them earlier in the year, like I talked about last week on the podcast. But what did I say last week? Don't let Terrence Ross get going, right? Remember when I said that? Don't let Evan Fournier get going. Don't let Terrence Ross get going. Don't let DJ Augustine get going. Don't do any of that. None of it. So you look in the first half, and the Celtics, 19 points given up, they score 19. Then the Celtics score 32 in the second quarter. The Celtics played a great second quarter, and then they give up 22 to the Magic. That's super. They're up 10. Then they give up 31 to the Magic. And remember how I mentioned earlier, less than 30 points in a quarter is good. So now they're down five. I mean, they're still up five. You're like, this is great. I'm all good with this. And then they continued to play terrible defense, they couldn't hit shots, and they lose by two. Now, when I say that they couldn't hit shots, sure, you miss some threes, you miss some long twos, you might miss a layup here and there, it happens. The Celtics went 19 of 28 from the line. 19 of 28. That means they missed nine free throws. 
Nine free throws. Terrence Ross went 5 of 14 from 3. 5 of 14 from 3. He missed nine threes. Same percentage, basically. Terrence Ross scored 25 points. 25 points. He was a plus 11. Think about that. Terrence Ross, the one guy I told you to not go off, he goes off. You know, Vujicic, 16 and 13. You were expecting that. Keep him off the boards. Horford couldn't. Aaron Gordon went bananas. He shot 50% from the field. He played 38 minutes, 28 points, was a plus 11. Unbelievable. But whenever Vujicic was on the floor, he was a minus 21. So the Celtics weren't attacking him. It was absolutely unbelievable. The Celtics went 8 of 32 from 3. 19 out of 28 from the free throw line. You lose by 2. You lose by 2. And you miss 9 free throws. It's not rocket science, folks. It really isn't. It's absolutely unbelievable. Speaking about unbelievable. Terry Rozier. The Celtics lost by two points. Okay, folks? Two points. Terry Rozier was a minus 20. That means the Magic were 20 points better. 20 points better when Terry Rozier was on the floor. Huh. Like, Hayward, minus 11. Jalen Brown, minus 18. Daniel Tice, minus 16. Gross. The bench. What has happened to our bench? What has happened to that deep rotation that we were supposed to have? But then you look at the magic bench, plus 3, plus 20, plus 11, plus 23. Huh? Jalen Brown, minus 18. Terrence Frost, plus 11. That shouldn't happen. I can't figure this team out. I can't. Now, I don't know if the Celtics were overpassing too much because in the first three quarters, the Celtics, I swear to God, Brad was like, you guys can't shoot it until you pass it 10 times. There were times where guys were opening. You're like, shoot it. And they're like, nope, one extra, one more pass. No, one more pass. No, one more pass after that. And then the fourth quarter stopped. Ball movement stopped. Sure, it might have been Kyrie a little bit because Kyrie was like, you know what, screw this, I'm going to take over. But before Kyrie came into the game late in the fourth quarter, it was the ball movement just stopped. And notice that I said Kyrie coming late into the fourth quarter. This was not Brad Stevens' best game. Brad Stevens, I've noticed over the last couple weeks, you you guys know me, I don't like to bash Brad a lot. I think he makes a lot of right decisions and makes a lot of right calls. But over the last couple of weeks, I really think that he has kept the bench out longer than he should have. If the Magic went on the run that they did, I think the Magic went on a 22-5 to run. Call the timeout, Brad. Bring the starters in. If they got to play longer minutes, it's fine. So be it. You get, you, your next like seven games are at home. It's like seven out of the next eight are home. So let them play a little bit longer. It's okay if you know Kyrie plays 35 minutes. He doesn't do it all the time, so let him play more. Same with Marcus Morris. Same with Marcus Smart. Let these guys play more. It's okay to do it every once in a while, and it was very disappointing to see Brad just continuously leave the bench guys out there as they continuously got the shit kicked out of them. It was very frustrating, and, and I was pretty pissed at Brad. I really and truly was because he... I, I don't understand it. Like, if I saw Tice, Robert Williams, Hor- uh, Hayward, Brown, and Rogier 
literally go on a 22 to 5 run, I'd be like, all five starters, let's go. We'll do a full exchange right now. Maybe not Horford. You know, maybe leave Robert Williams in there because Horford's on a minute restriction and we'll need him in the playoffs and he's important. I get it, et cetera, et cetera. But bring him in, Brad. Don't let them suffer just because you think they want more minutes and they might complain. Screw that. Screw those guys if that's what you're concerned about. If they're upset they're not getting you know more minutes, then maybe they should play better. Absolutely unbelievable. Now, the final part of... There, there was one positive about this game before we get into another negative. Kyrie Irving really got Al Horford involved in this game, and I thought it was great. I really did. Kyrie realized that Al Horford played like horse malarkey against the Heat. And Kyrie got Al Horford involved as much as he could in that Magic game. And I thought it was great. You know, Al Horford was a plus 21. He had a double-double, 10 points, 11 boards, 4 assists, 4 steals. He was 5 of 10 from the field. He was great. And it was because Kyrie tried to get him involved as much as possible. Kyrie, instead of you know, coming off a dribble handoff and attacking the basket. He would attack the basket a little bit, stop, kick it out to Al. Al would hit some jumpers. Al played super. He really did. It was great to see. And it was great to see that Kyrie got him involved because Kyrie realizes how important Al Horford is to this team. But finally, let's talk about the final play that Brad Stevens drew up. It's called the diamond setup, where basically Kyrie's on the other end of the floor. You have kind of Al Horford right at the top of the three-point line, and you have Tatum and Morris. I believe Morris was on the other side. It might have been Marcus Smart. I'm having a brain fart. On the other side of the court. The first option is Jason Tatum will curl, and Gordon Hayward, who shouldn't be the inbound passer anymore. That's now two bad decisions he's made. Should not be the inbound passer anymore. I don't care if it was good at Butler anymore, Brad. He's done. See you later. He's kaput. So... Jason Tatum can curl around, catch the ball, fadeaway jumper. He missed it. But the main option is you throw the, you lob the ball into Horford, who's on top of the three-point line, and Kyrie comes full speed from the other end of the court. And Kyrie can do a bunch of things. And even if it wasn't Kyrie, even if it was Terry Rozier, even if it was Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, anyone could have done a bunch of things. Number one, you get a dribble handoff from Al. Al sets a good enough screen for you with the handoff, sticks his butt out a little bit. You jack up a three. If it goes in, you win the game. You could also attack the basket, tie the game, make the game go into overtime. You could also grab the ball, put one hard dribble on the floor, do a step back, shoot a long two. Hopefully it goes in, you go into overtime. So there's a bunch of options. And Gordon went with option one, where he should have probably went with option two. Kyrie and Gordon kind of did a little bit of back and forth. Kyrie then went on a little rant after the game about how some of the young guys don't have that experience to be a championship team yet, which is, to a a point, kind of true. But at the end of the day, Kyrie should have maybe said that what he said wasn't wrong. It's just what he said shouldn't have been said to the media. Because now people are going to dissect it, and the young guys are already in their own heads, and to hear that is a little crazy. But folks, I'm just going to mention this once. If everyone wants Kyrie Irving back on this Boston Celtics team this summer, these young guys need to get their shit together. Because Kyrie will leave if he doesn't realize that these young guys aren't good enough to win a championship. Kyrie wants to win another championship. Kyrie wants to win a championship on his own, even though you could argue that, you know, he hit the biggest shot in Cleveland Cavaliers history. We could go on for days about that, but that's fine. So these young guys, if you can get anything out of episode 24, Jalen Brown needs to accept his role. And if once Jalen Brown accepts his role, like Gordon Hayward does, even though Gordon Hayward looks frustrated, 
but he's treated it like a true professional. Jalen Brown realizes that he's a better bench player for this team. Maybe not in the NBA. Jalen Brown could probably start on a majority of the teams in the NBA. But for right now, in this moment, if Jalen Brown really wants to have a great career in the NBA, nut up, shut up, and play well in your new role. Okay? Now, let's get into a little banner banter investigation. And the theme about this one is number seven. I looked up another number seven like Jalen Brown, who just really wasn't impressive for the Boston Celtics, so cue the music. We now interrupt this podcast to bring you a very special banner banter investigation, Celtics Unit Report. Okay, this week's banner banter investigation is on Tom Gugliotta. Yes, that's right. Let's say it with me. Tom Gugliotta. He was the sixth overall pick in the 1992 draft. I know we just did Todd Day last week, who was also part of the 1992 NBA draft. Six foot ten, 250 pounds. Now, for those people who are enjoying Duke basketball season or just watch ESPN on a daily basis, Zion Williamson is 6'7", 270. So he's 20 pounds bigger than Tom Gugliotta. Uh, Tom Gugliotta is from New York, and he probably had the worst tattoo in the NBA. Same as Pamela Anderson. He had a barbed wire tattoo. Very, very embarrassing. He went to NC State, and he was first team all ACC in 1992. He was drafted by the Washington Bullets, six overall, like I said, in the 1992 draft. And then he was traded to the, the Warriors. What's fascinating about Tom Gugliotta is... He got traded for a lot of draft picks, no matter where he went. And the people that those draft picks turned into is like a, like an all-star team. It's actually pretty impressive. So when he played for the Washington Bullets in that first season, he made first-team all-rookie. He averaged 17-8. and eight. That's, that's pretty good, right? So when he got traded to the Warriors, he got traded for Chris Webber and then three first-round picks. Todd Fuller, Chris Mim, and Vince Carter was one of those picks pretty crazy he was then after he was traded to the Warriors he was then traded six months later to the Minnesota Timberwolves for Donnie Marshall he played there for three years and that was like the first time the Minnesota Timberwolves had like their big three it was Gugliotta Stephon Marbury and Kevin Garnett you know Kevin Garnett was the center Gugliotta was the power forward um and speak Tim speak Stephon Marbury was the point guard and those guys were a lot of fun to watch. I mean, let, let's be honest. After that, he was released and then signed with the Suns. And in 1999, he had a really crazy health scare. He took too many sleeping pills and he literally almost died. He was on the phone with his wife and he just stopped breathing and collapsed. And his wife called Rex Chapman, who played for the Phoenix Suns at the time, and was actually able to get into Tom Gugliotta's room, call an ambulance, and they were able to get him into the emergency room on time. And, and he lived, which was great to see. Then he played for the Suns for about five years, and he was traded for two more draft picks to go to the Utah Jazz. And one of those draft picks was Gordon Hayward. So, so far, this dude has been trade, traded for Chris Webber, Vince Carter, Gordon Hayward. Then, in 2004, he was signed with the Celtics. He signed in August 2004 with the Celtics, and he played 20 games for the Celtics before he got traded, like, literally, like, six months later. He shot 29% from the field, kind of like Jalen Brown. He was averaging one of six. He was one of six per game in his career with the Celtics. He shot 66% from the three-throw line kind of like Jalen Brown, and he averaged seven boards a game. Danny Ainge loved him. Danny Ainge, 
I was reading some quotes like when I was doing my research for this, and he was just like, you know, he's so versatile. He can shoot the ball well. All this crazy stuff, 29% from the field. Absolute crap. But when he got traded to the Atlanta Hawks, and after he got traded to the Atlanta Hawks, he was cut by the Atlanta Hawks, and his career was over. But when he got traded to the Atlanta Hawks, he got traded for Antoine Walker and a first-round pick, which the Celtics turned into Rajon Rondo. So this dude got traded for Rajon Rondo, Vince Carter, Gordon Hayward, Chris Webber, and Antoine Walker. That team actually wouldn't be that bad. You know, you'd have Rondo at the one, Hayward at the two, Vince Carter at the three, Antoine Walker at the four, and Chris Webber at at the five or the stretch four. But yeah, absolutely crazy. So Tom Gugliotta got traded. He moved. I can't even think of an analogy about how many times he moved around. He must have got traded. What would I say? Four or five times. He currently lives in North Carolina and he's playing a lot of golf. That's all I could really find on, on him, which is crazy. But that is your banner banter investigation about Tom Gugliotta this week. And let's talk about the upcoming four games for the Celtics this week. Before we end this podcast, Celtics have four games this week. One of them, like super duper important tonight they do play the brooklyn nets who are currently the seventh seed in the east and they like i mentioned earlier they have a lot more guys coming back um they have crab hollis jefferson harris carroll all those guys are coming back this should be a much tougher game for the celtics than it was last monday at td garden again this is the nets are playing a lot of people hard. I mean, there's a reason why the Nets are in the playoffs right now in the East. I understand the East sucks, and to have a losing record and be in the playoffs is kind of stupid with how good the West is, but that's a different conversation for a different day. But the Nets are a good team, and the Celtics cannot take this team lightly, and I hope they don't, and I hope they get a W tonight. But Wednesday night, biggest game of the week, 8 p.m. versus the Raptors. The Celtics can take a 2-1 series lead, which if the Celtics can catch up to the Raptors, which could be huge for seeding in the playoffs. Very, very important game. Each team, each home team has won so far. Obviously, the last time the Celtics played was in played the Raptors was in November for that crazy overtime game at the Garden. So much fun to watch. The first time these team these two teams played the Celtics lost 113 to 101 Horford was the star of the game he was literally like one assist away from a triple double yeah he's either one or two assists away from a triple double Tice Semyon Time Lord didn't play at all at this game because I believe Tice was still hurt with his knee issue so it'll be interesting to see how Tice and Time Lord and maybe even Shemi Ojale are injected into the Celtics rotation during this game and then the Celtics the second time they played in that overtime game that I just talked about in November where they had those back-to-back home games you know, against the Raptors and the Jazz, Kyrie dropped 43. He also had 11 assists, and the Celtics were still playing with their opening night lineup of Jalen and Hayward and Kyrie and Al Horford and Jason Tatum, but now it's a new starting lineup, so it'll be very interesting to see how that goes. Marcus Smart only played 18 minutes in that last game. Tatum and Hayward were great in that game. Jalen and Terry were not. They were combined 5 of 17, and that has to change because the Raptors are very deep. You think about Van Fleet and Norman Powell. Those guys always outplay Jalen and Terry. That has to change. Terry and Jalen have to be better than Van Fleet and Powell. They're basically the same versions of each other, just on different teams. Kyle Lowry was out for a little bit with some back issues. The Raptors kind of survived without him. You know, they kept their head above water. And Jonas Valanciunas, he's going to be out with a dislocated thumb as well. So that's going to be huge for them. 
Marcus Morris, Kawhi Leonard, that's going to be a huge matchup. Can Marcus Morris play that good defense like he does against LeBron from time to time against Kawhi Leonard? Then you got to think about Ibaka and Horford. I think whoever shoots better between the two of those guys, Ibaka or Horford, that, that team's going to win the game because the first game up in Toronto, which I believe was the second game of the season for the Celtics, Ibaka shot the ball very well, and that's why the Celtics lost. And now Horford almost got a triple-double the second time around, and that's why the Celtics beat the Raptors that time. And then you got to think about Jason Tatum and Siakam. Siakam's a hell of a hell of a defender. He'll probably win most improved player this year. He he deserves to win most improved player this year and he better. He's a great great basketball player and a great athlete. So keep an eye out on Tatum and Siakam. That's going to be a great matchup. And then Friday night at the Garden the Celtics are playing the Memphis Grizzlies. Obviously, they had that crazy game against them a couple weeks ago where they were down like 22 points. They gave up 38 points in that second quarter. Kyrie and Horford made a comeback. They won the game. It was a lot of fun. But one of the big issues from that game was Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks got hurt recently. He's done for the entire year. Dylan Brooks played a great game against the Celtics, so Dylan Brooks will not be playing in this game. So that's obviously a help for the Celtics, and we wish Dylan Brooks nothing but the best because that kid's a great basketball player. And then Saturday night, another back-to-back, 7.30 in Atlanta against the Hawks. The Hawks really aren't that good, but they have beat the Heat. They have beat the 76ers. They're a pretty good team, but they also gave up 144 points against the Bucks in January. So the way the Celtics have been passing the ball as of late, this uh, the Celtics, this team, they they can drop a lot of points. So the Celtics have a, I this is a critical week for the Celtics. I I really and truly believe that it's a it's a very important week for them because their schedule after that they play the Heat again at home and then the Cavs and then boom the Warriors are in town and then they play the Nets again and then the Hornets. So these the Celtics really could go on a little bit of a run here. You know, could they go maybe? Six and two, seven and one, maybe even eight and zero, sure, but they can't do a five and three, four and four. They can't do that. They can't do that at all. So that's it for episode 24 of the Banner Banter Podcast. Twitter machine at Banner Banter 18. Facebook and Instagram at Banner Banter Podcast. If you're listening on Spotify or iTunes, thank you so much. If you don't like those applications, you can also look on Stitcher. SoundCloud, Podbean, and a whole bunch of other different podcast applications. Thanks so much for listening. Congrats to the Patriots for going to their eighth straight AFC Championship game. Absolutely crazy to to think that. Hopefully the Celtics can go to eight straight Eastern Conference Finals and at least win one of them, if not all of them. All right, guys. Toodles and noodles. X's and O's. Bye-bye. Sorry, but I'm gone. I'm history. And I dedicated my life to the Boston Celtics. I dedicated my life to the fans. Boston. I did my very best to please each and every one of you. Good night.